the Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. This is the Unruffled Podcast, Episode 81. This is a podcast about recovery through creativity. We live an intentional life. We thrive. I am Sandra Primo. And I'm Tammy Salas. And we are The Unruffled. Hey, Sandra. Good morning. How is it over there, my friend? It's grand. <laughs> it's grand? It's, uh, yeah. You know, we are, we're going to talk about the weather for a minute. Awesome. We are experiencing, as as Texans do, just weird Texas weather right now. I told you that it had rained for 40 days and 40 nights. I'm not really kidding about that, but wow. um, because the rivers are flooding now, but, um, but we got a crazy cold front. So it's been like in the 40s and 50s. Wow. Uh, here and the day days before that it was in the 90s so we dropped 50 degrees in in 24 hours and um so it's unusually cold here for October a lot of extremes um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we do that we don't do anything mediocre it's <laughs> go big or go home in Texas it's we, Texas yes 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 and um we never have much of a fall, it's either like really hot or then it just gets really cold. And so, um, my kids are loving it. I'm trying to, uh, embrace it. I mean, I, I shouldn't complain cause I was complaining that it was, that I was sweating in October. Um, but like it makes it, makes it hard for me to work in my studio because it's cold yeah. and I, you know, and I have a little heater out there, but it, it just it doesn't really heat the place up very well. I need to just go to Lowe's and or Home Depot and go buy a new heater. But um yeah, so that's that's it. Kind of being a weenie. <laughs> well, I like how we uh, our small talk about the weather is just um we're honing our skills for small talk at dinner parties or cocktail parties mm-hmm. or at public outings, you know, with other mm-hmm. people. We're just practicing, Sandra. That's what we're doing. <gasps> Well, you know, I have always said (laughs) that I am so shallow that the weather does affect me. And so that's a true statement (laughs) to this day. (laughs) Well, it definitely affects moods for sure. But getting out to the studio, since you mentioned that, I've had a harder time coming out here too because it's colder. And I had set up my whole morning routine out here, meditation pillow, this view, books, this whole little situation. And to be quite honest, I so I've shifted up my routine to be in the house, um, but still a lot of my tools are out here. So I've been slowly bringing them in like one by one, like, oh, I, I need my tarot deck. Oh, I need my, my pillow. Um, and that's something that um, I was I was with a sober friend of ours who was on the show, Nikki Hale, um, recently. And she said, you know, can you do you can you share that like maybe your morning routine doesn't look totally perfect? And I was like, well, like, what do you mean? And because and, I was on a call with her, a conference call, and I was painting the foundation for my gratitude list while we were having this call. And she's like, well, just like that, like you're making time for it while you're having a call. It doesn't look like we're just blocking out two hours for a morning routine. I'm like, oh, yeah, I can. Yeah, for sure. I would share more of that because I don't want it to seem like it's total utopia um, 
for a morning routine because it's not. So I guess I'm saying that out loud. Like I just do pull a tarot when I can. Sometimes I'm on a phone call and I pull a tarot. To be quite honest with you, I know I should have more intention, but I'm just, I don't. I, I will sometimes just pull a card. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah. I am shifting my routines. I am recalibrating and kind of it's the season for that. Totally the season for that. And and to that end, I just, um, we were supposed to have a women's circle this last weekend that I've been promoting here on the podcast uh, locally. And we had to cancel it. Um mm. Natalie had some family stuff going on that um, just didn't leave her in a great place to uh, hold space for others. And um, she lamented about it quite a bit. And then um, we asked her, uh, Nikki asked her, do you need permission from us that it's okay that we cancel? Because I think that's what she needed. And that's what she needed. And so we postponed it until January, the last week of January. And so now the schedule is wide open for the weekend. And that feels all right, too. Especially good. right now. Yeah. It feels good. Yeah. Good. Um, good. How, did, how did your sober meetup go? Didn't you do something fun at Sands Bar? I did. Yeah. Yeah. It was super fun. We had some podcast listeners um, meet, some old friends meet, um, some some uh, women that came to our women's circle here in Austin was there. Um, it was super fun. We had dinner um, at this great little place called Vinaigrette that had lots of like interesting little mocktail type or just non-alcoholic drink options other than, yeah, just sodas. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And then we went to the Sands Bar, uh, which is a sober bar that just is open on Friday nights and it's run by this wonderful guy named Chris and he's got lots of big hopes and dreams for the space. Um, it was super fun. Did you get yeah. to dance? No dancing. I would have been the only dancer, I think, if, if, uh, if, yeah, if I would have just started breaking out in a groove. <laughs> but um, I <laughs> it was a little more subdued. A little more subdued. It was a little more subdued. Okay. Yeah, but it was so fun. It was really fun. It was fun to get to connect with um, some women that I'd never met before and that are in our secret Facebook group. And so that was just really uh, you know, super fun. We all just kind of fell right in. I love it. And um, yeah, yeah, we have a great little community here in Austin. And um, if anything, it just things like that always just um, sort of get my wheels turning for you know what I want to create. That's that's how I, you know, I always come out. What is missing? in that I want to see. And so, um, anyway, have some ideas percolating. Hmm. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you got together. That's what with these things have been happening more and more. And I think it's, um, I wasn't brave enough maybe in early sobriety or it wasn't even that I wasn't brave. I just didn't quite know how to do it. I was so awkward. Um, but now it just seems awesome. You know, it just seems awesome to connect with other ladies. It seems like an opportunity, um, and it feels more natural. Right. Yes, you're right. You're right. It definitely, you know, it definitely is awkward for sh- in the beginning, for sure. As a matter of fact, um, you know, there were a couple of women that I invited that, you know, it's just like, oh, I'm just not, I just not ready to 
you know, it just feels too weird. And it's like, I totally get it. I totally get it. But, you know, I mean, why wouldn't you want to hang out with us? (laughs) And then I have to remember that, you know, how weird it was for me in the beginning, too. Yeah. Yeah, it takes time. Um, I'm in a I'm in a a year-long creative coaching program with Tiffany Hahn, who's been a guest on our podcast, who is sober. Um, and I, um, and I don't think I'm giving away any secrets, but, uh, she has quite a few women in that inner circle that are sober. And so I'm connecting with one who lives here locally soon. And, um, I'm just, it was so easy to be like, oh yeah, let's have coffee. It's great. Mm, let's get together, right. you know, and that we could have that thread. I don't know her. I don't know her life. I don't know anything about her other than, you know, she's doing this thing too. And that she's also sober. And I was like, great, let's meet. And before that would have been a really big nerve wracking, uh, thing in early sobriety, which, um, if we can, um, segue a little bit, our guest today, um, when I was in early sobriety, um, that's how I, I, I it would have been really uncomfortable for me. Well, it was uncomfortable for me to go meet her for the very first time. Um, so we should say, we should segue into, um, our guest is Holly Whitaker today on the podcast. And it's been a long time coming cause we're on episode, what is this? 81? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, we've been waiting patiently. Holly's had a really busy year. Um, but how I found Holly initially was through social media and stumbled upon her um, Instagram feed. And it's been interesting to watch her kind of as she's kind of bloomed and taken different paths in her sobriety and um, teaching her school and building her business and doing all the things that she's done. But initially it was on Instagram and the first time she wanted to get together um, I didn't tell this story in the interview. I'll, I'll be really, I'll try to make it succinct. But I was at a party, um, pumpkin carving party that I didn't want to go to um, with my husband's colleague and, and a bunch of his friends. And there was this woman there that, um, okay, let's just be honest. This is going to take a few minutes. Um, <laughs> there was this woman mm-hmm. there that had this black shirt on that had um, UBU on the back of it. And I watched her all night and she didn't drink. And she was this redhead and kind of tall. And eventually, you know how you just kind of get a vibe for somebody's energy, right? Mm-hmm. And she came over and she was talking to me and she was like, um, I said, I like your shirt, you know, and it was gold foil on the back, you know, and I loved it. And she says, oh, I, I'm a yoga instructor. Um, do you ever do yoga? And I was like, oh, I live in a small town. There's no yoga studios. And she was like, well, where do you live? And I told her. She's like, well, you, have you ever done yoga online? And I was like, no, I've never done yoga online. And she's like, well, you could, I said, I don't get really good internet connection at my house. Um, and that's what she's like, where do you live? <laughs> like, where, where? I'm like, no, it's just, we, you know, we still have like dial up at speed. It's not great. So I can't do it online. But I have a friend of mine that does yoga online. And by friend, I mean, I've never met Holly before in my life. So my friend was my internet friend from social media. Sure, Holly Whitaker. friend. <laughs> right? My, my really close friend, Holly Whitaker. And she says, and she says, who's your friend? And I said, um, her name's Holly. And she says, what's her last name? And I said, Whitaker. And she said, I know Holly Whitaker. She was a student of mine. I'm Stephanie. Oh, wow. I'm Stephanie Snyder. And she shakes my hand. And I, I don't know who Stephanie Snyder is. So I'm like, oh, hi, nice to meet you. Um, then she kind of looks at me and kind of cocks her head. And she says, I'm going to give you my number. 
And she writes down her number. She said, if you ever need anything or if you want to come to the city and take a class, let me know. I'm like, oh, okay. So then I go home and I have an email in my inbox from Holly Ask that same night asking me if I want to get together in San Francisco and talk about working on a project together. And I write her back and I said, oh, interesting. I just met a friend of yours tonight, Holly. Um, uh, she says she was your teacher. Her name is Stephanie Snyder. And um, I thought that was a small world. And yeah, I'd love to meet you. Um, I'm going to be in the city on November 11th. Um, let's meet for coffee. So Holly, like, immediately emails back in, like, all capital letters, like, you oh, my met Stephanie Snyder. <laughs> oh, my God, do you know who you were talking to? Have you watched her TED Talk? Do you know who her husband is? He's a lead singer of Rancid, I believe. Uh-huh. Do you know? Do you know? Go watch her TED Talk and email me back. And, oh, my God, I can't believe we're going to meet on 11-11. Now, I might be paraphrasing some of that, but there was excitement, you could tell, in her email. <laughs> And I was like, oh, okay. So I go watch the Stephanie Snyder TED Talk, which I highly recommend people do, TEDx Talk. And Stephanie is one of us. And um, she has quite a story. And she was one of Holly's uh, yoga teachers and did yoga teacher training with her, I believe. And I went and met Holly for coffee on November 11th, which was 11-11, which was a magical number. And um, I didn't understand the significance of it at the time. So... From that moment on, Holly and I started working on a project together called the Mantra Project. Um, and Holly was one of the first people to, um, well, it was the first time I got paid for my art. I worked on the project for a year, and she we launched it the, the following year, 11-11-16, which was when I came to meet you in Austin that weekend. Was I think mm-hmm. it launched that weekend. So there's all of these connections and things that happen. And before, I just thought they were just coincidences. And now I, I do kind of believe that it's all divine and kind of interesting how, how yeah. things happen. Mm-hmm. So I, that's my long intro of how I met Holly. But I just, um, it's beautiful how she came into my life and how she's affected my creative world and given me the confidence to keep going and making art. And so I'm really grateful. Right, right. And then, of course, how, you know, it's easy to see how she affects so many of our uh, how she's affected so many of our guests that we've had on the show. Yeah. yeah so many of you guys, we know you love Holly and her work. Yeah. So we're really excited to bring this interview to you guys today. Yeah. So let's, we'll get into, I'll do the, a quick little um, bio for Holly and because we get into a lot of this in the, in the conversation we have with her. I'll, I'll start the intro, Sandra, and then maybe you can, you can sure. end it there. But um, so if you don't know Holly Whitaker, um, she is the founder and CEO of Tempest Inc., and this is formerly Hip Sobriety, which she'll talk about, um, inc- Incorporated. Um, it's a consumer brand, a digital, a digital alternative complement to AA. Tempest has served thousands of individuals on their path to recovery through their programs, educational courses, and media. And Holly is a writer and author of a soon-to-be-published memoir self-help book that's coming out in the spring of 2019 um, with Crown Publishing Group. She is also the former co-host of the Home Podcast, which garnered a Webby honorable mention in 2017. She writes regularly for her own blog, Hip Sobriety, and the media site she founded, The Temper, which just launched. Um, Holly is a yoga instructor certified in both Kundalini and Vinyasa. She loves jazz music, Rome, sleep, 
and oat milk. She lives in Brooklyn, New York with her cat, Mary Catherine. (laughs) And you can find Holly all over the place. Let's see. There's jointempest.com, hipsobriety.com, and The Temper is her online magazine, which just launched um, a few days ago. And you can also find Holly on Instagram, um, at Holly, or you can find her at The Temper. So, yeah, I'm excited, Sandra. I thought it was a great conversation with her, and I know a lot of people have been looking forward to hearing from Holly since the Home Podcast ended earlier this year. Right. Yeah, yeah, enjoy it. Guys, enjoy, Holly. Welcome to the show, Holly. Thank you for having me. Good morning, guys. Good morning. I'm so excited. It's really exciting. I know. I feel that I'm. <laughs> I'm so excited to talk to you too. I couldn't even and go to sleep. To talk about creativity. <laughs> What's that? I said I couldn't even go to sleep last night. I was so excited. <laughs> I know, and we're all talking at the same time too, which just <laughs> amplifies our excitement. <laughs> Uh, well, so Holly, I, we start the podcast usually by, um, you know, we go into like a drinking history, but really quickly before we start, um, and ask you, um, our questions, I wanted to just, um, I wanted to share with the listeners a little bit of how, uh, how we, how the beauty of social media, because I know it gets a bad rap. Um, but I, I came to know you through social media and, Mm -hmm. I want to tell you, I don't know if I've ever told you this before, but you kind of scared me a little bit with how <laughs> honest, I'm just, be, I want to be honest, with how honest you were. You know, I found huh. you on social media through a hashtag called I Choose Clean. Um, oh my God. Way back yeah. when, right? Yeah. And what I saw women holding up the sign that says I Choose Clean, and I was like, who is this? What is happening? And so I fell yeah. down that rabbit hole where I found you, and then I yeah. found your website, which intrigued and terrified me as well, because you were saying all of these things that I was like, had not heard anybody say. Mm-hmm. And so when I say terrified me, I mean that in a good way, but it was like, you were saying things that I was thinking. And yeah. um, so anyhow, so that's how I came to know you. And then I think I'd illustrated some of your words. Um a really beautiful quote that you said that you said that no it was oh, before what? that was by it? the way Remind you, me. yeah we were in Facebook I remember because it was when I was living in Fresno in between I was living with my mom in like my childhood bedroom in between <laughs> San Francisco and LA and it uh-huh. was late it was like the fall of 2015 and we had just started the home podcast Facebook group and in that Facebook group you actually posted a picture of something of, of you had taken, it was like a yellow circle, a yellow water, like watercolor. Mm-hmm. And you had taken your friend's words. You'd done a project with another friend or another woman mm-hmm. and you'd written in typewriter, one of her quotes. Oh, and wow. I reached out to you because of that. And I wanted you to put my stuff in. I wanted to work with you on the mantra project. Like right. I wanted to, I wanted you to put art around like some of my words. And, um, I, I didn't, that was when I, that was for me the first time I remember. You kind of I remember, I remember that post of, of Tammy's as well. I re- totally yeah. remember that. Oh, yeah. Wow. So I'm glad you guys. There were many of us. 
There weren't many of us. Under no. 200 people, right? That's Under right. 200 women. Yeah, for yeah, sure. That's terrifying. That group was terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hated it when we started it, but it came, like so much good came from that. But yeah. I was... know. Think about all of the personalities in that original home yes. group. Wow. Yeah. It was a yeah. lot. Force. We were yeah, a force. There was kind of nothing like it. No, there wasn't. And it was so like, it was just so intimidating being in there. I hated it at first. (laughs) (laughs) I love it and I hate it. But yeah. Well, okay. So I didn't, so I didn't remember that post of mine, but I remember your words and it's a it's something that I haven't hung up in my studio. Maybe that's why I've made that, that that's the thing. But you yeah. said you had some words that said the goal isn't to be sober. The goal is mm-hmm. to love yourself so much that you don't need to drink. And when yeah. I wrote that and, and kind of made art around it and just kind of meditated on that thought, um, you know, we c- started communicating and we got together to work on a project together, the mantra project, um, which, by the way, I want to just say you helped, uh, in, you know, give me a voice and believe in myself with making my art. And Mm. I don't know that I could ever properly thank you for that, Holly, because you kind of just really lit the, um, the spark ignited it. And then with the mantra project, with reading those mantras and working with them every single day, I got to work with them in a way, um, they just became, came you know, just became part of me. And so I just want to say thank you so much. You do this for so many women, but for me especially, I just wanted to to thank you publicly and to say you've helped me with so much. Well, thank you. And, and you're welcome. And you also, you know, saved me right back. I, it's really funny. You know, you sent me those little samples of the mantras on the little tiny cards. You, and my, you, you sent me my rosary back when I was in a hard time. And then you sent me those little cards. This is just recently. And I've been, I ha- and and you folded them up in a like SF MoMA. It's beautiful. It's this <laughs> tiny little packet of those of the mantras, and I keep them in my desk and I use them. And mm. I like I do a lot and I write a lot. And my words sometimes are they come out and then they go, and I don't hold on to them. They just do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I like release the stuff out and then I don't appreciate or hold them precious, and I forget sometimes. Mm-hmm. And like I when you when you take my stuff and then you put your, you, and you put your heart into it and and you make art out of my words and then you send it back to me, it's such a gift because it's like, I get to appreciate something on a different level and it deepens it. And so it's, it's, I think it's very mutual. Like I think what you and I did together was something that was very, very, um, that amplified both of I've uh, amplified what we, what we do. And, and yeah, it's almost yeah. like you validated each other. Cause you know, we all just need a little validation. Sometimes you need somebody yes. just to go, your work is really important. <laughs> and, you know, and, it, and then you can look at your own thing objectively too, because we just get, yeah. you know, when you're right, when you're doing it, it's just subjective and you, you don't appreciate it for what it is. Yeah. I love that. Well, and then you became it's like my true. muse. I mean, you and Laura became, um, I did my ray of light um, artwork and it started with like, I did my mm-hmm. dog and <laughs> I did you mm-hmm. and I did Laura and you were like my first three before I came up with my idea and you were also one of my ray of light interviews and it just yeah. all kind of spawned and ev- almost every woman in that my ray of light interview series, Holly, 
thanked you, had something to thank you or Laura for um, in the home podcast for that's how we all found each other. And that kind of bloomed into this beautiful project where if I hadn't met you, you know, I don't think that would have happened. And kind of seeing what you were doing and pushing and the next thing you were doing and being brave and talking about recovery and sobriety the way that you did on the podcast gave permission and and, and, and your website and just how you were talking about it um, gave permission for other women to say like, yeah, that's my story too. Or I have one and I'm not going to be ashamed to talk about it. Yeah. Well, I think that there is, I mean, there's so much to like, there's so much to unpack in that. I think one of the things is like what, what I think your work, I mean, you, I was just immediately attracted to your work when I saw that small yellow circle with the type and your ray of light, when you had done your own, you, you know, your first, the first thing you had done was a picture of yourself or was it of your mother or parent? Uh, it I can't. was me. It was me. Yeah. It was mm-hmm. you. That's right. It was you. And I was so attracted to it and so drawn to it. And, um, I think like, what you, I think what you did and what, like that, all of that stuff at that beginning, like it was just something that was, I I don't know, it, it made something so beautiful. I think like it, it, what you did was you took words and I couldn't even, I think it's really funny because I'm just like, what I'm trying to say is I think of your work as, as, um, phenomenal. And I think that it really surprises me sometimes that you wouldn't just naturally believe like, no, and like, (laughs) and, and have that, um, do you know what I'm saying? Like when I was looking at your stuff and going through your stuff and we sat in that coffee shop and Jane and the Jane coffee shop the mm-hmm. first time. And I think 2015, yeah. was it 2015? On 11-11. Yeah. On 11-11. <laughs> right. And we sat and we went through it and I think it's, it was just so obvious and that your, that your work was, was really beautiful. And I think, um, I underplay what I do too. I don't, I never really, I'm just like, yeah, I'm great at what I do. I mean, like I can say that, but I also am not like running around and just like picking through it. And sometimes when you, what, what I see in you, I want to never, and I want to like give a never ending compliment to, and I think you do the same for me and I'm just like, but it wasn't that big of a deal. Like, of course I wanted to work with you and have you make art out of of my words. Like I wanted to, like, I wanted to lock that shit down. I was like, (laughs) I need to work with you now. Like we need to meet and start working on this. Well, I do, Um, I do remember starting to backpedal and I'm like, Holly, you know, there's a lot of other creative people in the home group. I know that you probably want to, you know, if there's somebody else and there's graphic designers and people that, you know, cause I, you know, we were like faxing stuff back and I'm kidding, but I was like not um, very tech savvy. We're facts, yeah. <laughs> and, you were like, and you were like, I um, no, I no. you. And I was like, okay, uh, thank you. But but yeah. this is what we were talking about just before we started recording. Like, do you think of yourself as a creative person, Holly? Like, do you, do you? Well, I mean, I do now, like yeah. absolutely. But my background was, I never believed I was creative growing up. I think that this is something that we really, we really partition out to people who identify as artists. And then we mm-hmm. cut ourselves. And when I was, when I was an accountant, I was, I was an accountant. And that right. was how I started my <laughs> career. And I was, I mean, I was an economics major. I, and, and I, I'm a nerd. I love the way things work. I still love math deeply. Um, but I was dying. It, like my career was murdering me because it was so, it was so rote. And like, 
when I really was at the depths of my addiction, I was given a project. So the project at work that almost killed me was I was given a whole brand new department and I never really saw how much creation I did in my work as an accountant. I worked at startups. There's a lot of creation in that, but I didn't really qualify it or really identify with it. And something happened around 2010 when, uh, or 2011, when I was given this, I was given the ability to, um, to create a brand new department at work and also build software around it. And there, it was a huge undertaking. And it was also kind of right when we started saying things like customer experience and like, and really like design started coming to the forefront of how people moved through biz, like moved through their experiences in business. And I threw myself into it and I was, I read Bloomberg business week, um, like, like religiously. And, and if you look at, if anybody's familiar with that magazine, it sounds like a very boring magazine, but it is one of the most beautifully designed magazines. And I was obsessed with this idea. And then Instagram, when Instagram came out, I was like, I love doing this. I love like messing around with photos. And then one of my friends took me out and taught me how to take photos when on, on like, like maybe in the middle of trying to get sober, I met a friend in New York and he showed me how to use my camera and it was game on. And so it's this interesting thing is I never thought of myself as creative, but what, what was happening was I was getting more and more and more attracted to trusting myself and more attracted to expressing myself and more attracted to creation. And like, it means I was like, drawing in my apartment or like, like it was the first time that I think I really like went nuts with it and allowed this thing to be unleashed. And, and I identify now as an amateur photographer, but I think I am a great photographer and it's because I love taking pictures and not because I spend so much time on it, but because I just love it. And what I have done since like creating my website and creating the pictures that go along with it. And like, Everything that's on hip sobriety that I make, which was my first baby, all of it is, none of it is like stock. None of it's taken from anywhere else. It's all my stuff. There's like maybe two stock photos in the entire thing. And they're like, so like absolutely now. And like we, you know, there's a lot of stuff that, that like we're creating. And that's, I think like when I think of my role, there's the company that I started now employs about 10 people and it has about 10 contractors. So it's large and I, and it's going to get larger. And I keep thinking of what my role is here and my role is to like promote it and push it forward. But my role is also as the, like, I, I would say is like the, you know, the creative, like my, like the vision is, is like what kind of keeps me going. And so, yeah, absolutely now, but I would never have said that I was creative. Um, when I look at all of your work, Holly, as a whole, I see like a very particular aesthetic and, you know, I guess that goes into your branding or whatever, but you have a definite aesthetic, um, behind everything that you create, including your Instagram feed and your website and, and now with your new stuff. And so, yeah, that's all you, that's all your, your, that reflects your creativity for sure. And that's so funny, you know, like when I think of you, like Sandra, and when I think of Tammy, I think both of you have the, like, both, like that dress that you were wearing at She Recovers, like there's just such a uniqueness where you can identify it. If somebody, if that dress was just hanging on a hanger <laughs> and it was like, like I would know whose dress that is. And like, and Tammy, the same for you. And it's not that you all, like, it's not that the two of you are doing like that you like go out and you're like, I really need to confine this to my aesthetic. 
it's that like you allow yourselves to create and because that it becomes this like like the signature aesthetic and I think that's one of the things that like a lot of like I think a lot of people really try to pull something off or like because they don't trust their own creative instinct. Mm-hmm. And I think what's happened is like when we trust our own creative instinct and we let that come out, it just starts to almost like become its own thing that you can smell, that you can see and you can identify. So I think like I didn't, what I'm saying is I didn't try and make anything look like it's like, I didn't, tr- I mean, I knew I wanted it to look like and I had ideas and it's very gut and like, like it's like I want it to look that way. And when something doesn't feel like it looks like when something doesn't look like I feel like it should it's not right. I don't feel okay. And I think that that is like, it's what I'm saying is it's not that I went out and I was like, I really want to create this aesthetic that like, is like, that looks like this. It's more that this aesthetic just kind of, it was right. More intuition and less like intention. That's right. That's right. And I, yeah, yeah. No, it's beautiful. And you can just tell, I mean, just when we, when we met initially, Holly, the colors that you're drawn to fonts, like you said, the Bloomberg design, like you can just tell that that's important to you. And that's why I did want to, we'll get to your drinking story in a minute. This is a podcast about that, but (laughs) your website, I wanted to say like when, um, when most women that we talk to on this show, um, and like I said, the interview series, they talk about how, when they searched for, um, sobriety online or modern sobriety and I searched Mm. for it last night just to check it again it's your your website is the first thing that pops up and I think when you're searching um, when you're drinking or sober curious or you're just thinking about quitting drinking and you know I know I went to the AA website and took that test and lied through it and I was like oh nope I'm not an alcoholic I don't have that problem but searching for modern sobriety and coming across a holistic approach and your manifesto like landing on your website is really um, a gift for people who are searching and so I guess what I wanted to just ask you about that is like um, you wrote your first blog post on May 11th 2013 um, yeah. How, what was your sobriety at that point? I guess I'll skip there. Were you a couple it was years? Less than a month. Less than a month. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Right. Okay. So yeah, I started right. Okay. Yes. Um, why did you feel like you, so, so I guess I'm jumping. I'm sorry, Holly, I'm getting all excited. No, please. Yeah. Let's this go, is so exciting. I'll the decision to quit drinking. And then that month, because I know what that month is like, um, Yes, it's a it's a crazy fire. <laughs> yeah. Mess. So can you share with our listeners who don't know your work, your decision? Maybe I know you've talked about it other places, and we're going to refer people to other places to hear your story, uh, sure. the longer version. But can you let us know, let them know um, how you came to that decision, and then maybe why you decided to write about it? Yeah, I mean, I I had. I was, I was drinking so much. I was bulimic. I was, was severely addicted to pot. I was working, you know, hundred hour weeks, 80 to hundred hour weeks, um, which sounds impossible, but that's all I did. And I, I was dying and I wouldn't have said I was addicted. And I, I, it was just a, the last thing I ever wanted to be was an alcoholic or addicted to alcohol. It was just, that was like end game, like, like not end game, but like game over. And, um, I also was becoming, I was on a trip in Costa Rica in 2012, summer 2012. And I said to one of my friends, if I'm still drinking like this, when we get back, you need to do an intervention. And I was joking and not joking. And 
for me, it was really, um, I was losing, I mean, I was losing myself. And I mean, when I say losing myself, I was doing things that were shocking myself and I was afraid of myself and of my mental state. And I was out to dinner with an ex-boyfriend and he said something about being borderline. And I just knew that I was so, I swung such highs and such lows and I, had this very, like, the story that I won't get into happen, but, like, the point of it was that I was, there was this confrontation, like, this, like, moment where I was talking to a doctor who was a friend of mine, and I knew I had an eating disorder. I knew my drinking was out of control. I knew that I was sick. I knew I was dying, but I would not have said I was an alcoholic, and that was just a too far a leap for me to make, and I was talking to a, a, a doctor that worked, I worked in healthcare and I worked with a lot of doctors and I was babysitting for one of my friend's kids and he is a doctor and we were talking and he said something about borderline personality disorder and the second he said it, every like hair on my body stood up and I knew I had, I knew I had that. I just knew. And I, when they left, I, I Googled uh, borderline personality disorder and then I took a, a you know, an online questionnaire and, um, I was eight out of nine on the, on the, diag- like on the diagnoses of, of, yeah, I, I had, board- I mean, the internet told me I had borderline personality disorder, which would later be this, like it would, it would never be, that would never actually be diagnosed by a professional, um, BPD and a lot of other behavioral disorders and mental health disorders, um, are either exacerbated or they're um, mimicked by addiction. So I just want to be clear on that. But I was like, I'm babysitting, I'm drinking while I'm doing all this, like, while I'm taking, like, I'm, I'm, it's like late at night and I'm like, okay, I have this, I have a mental illness and the mental illness, like the, the, I started reading about it immediately and it said like, stop drinking. And that was when I could stomach that I needed to stop drinking. And that turned me on to Alan Carr's work, which is very similar to Annie Grace's work. Alan Carr's work his whole entire platform is like, it's the alcohol. It's like, it is the alcohol that is, that has you. And, um, it gave me this into, I I started reading his book and it turned me off of alcohol. It was this switch. And I, when I, as I was, I read his book over, over October, 2012. And as I was reading his book and living my life and going out and forcing this thing that was not serving me anymore, I could not, it was just like, once you know, you can't unknow. And I knew alcohol was killing me and that I couldn't drink. And so I, I stopped drinking in October 2000. No, yeah, October 2012. And then I, I stopped drinking for a couple months and I started drinking again in December 2012. And I, but I, I was on the path and I knew my, my days were numbered and that I would quit drinking. And I really engaged in, um, in uh, recovery. And I, I like meaning I, I went to therapy, I got stomach massages, I posted mantras and quotes all over my apartment. I, you know, like bathed in essential oils, I meditated, I went to yoga, I went to acupuncture, I did everything to save my life that I could. Mm-hmm. And um, with the intention of quitting drinking, and I quit drinking for good on um, April, like the day of the Boston bombing on April either 14th or 15th, um, 2013. Wow. What was the name of Alan Carr's book for our listeners? If they're 
He has a number of them. The one you want to look for, and it's out of print, is called The Easy Way to Control Alcohol. And it was so funny. I bought it because I was like, I don't need to quit drinking. I just need to control it better. And it was the Didn't only, we like, all think that, though? Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, it was just like, I just haven't figured this out yet. I'm just not drinking right. I'm, I'm doing it wrong. Exactly. I, I do this differently. I've only been trying for 17 years, by right. the way. To drink like the right way. Surely it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> if I just try harder. No, I think um, I heard about Annie Grace through the, your podcast, and there was a phrase that she said that I wrote down that just has never left me. And she just talked about um, the mental anguish of moderation. And I, and I wrote that Wait. down, and I was like, that's what it is. Like, that is what is happening. Every time I try to moderate, I have this mental anguish. It's not serving me. It never served me. No, it never I, served me. Diets never served me. Moderation never served That like, that mental anguish of trying to control something that feels impossible to control and, and that you never will. And that you think, I mean, the amount of consumption of, of mind it takes up, it's too much. So, so, so at this time, you 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 quit drinking in April of twenty thirteen, and then you start you do your first blog post a month later. So, what what made you want to write? Had that always been a source of comfort for you to to get things out? Had you kept a blog for a long time before that? You know, I always I was really incredible at writing uh, work emails. I really was. It sounds very strange, <laughs> but I ever since I'd started my career. I was always great at writing uh, like a good email. And, um, and as I got bitchier and meaner in my life and like in my like, you know, upward climb on the corporate ladder, my emails got like, I could just tear people apart with my emails. Like it was just, it's oh so funny. Oh my God. Was, I bet you could. <laughs> oh yeah. Just like that. You see that I'll email pop up. Ping. Holly Whitaker <laughs> has sent you an email. <laughs> <laughs> hated me I mean like hated I I had like five bosses in five years at my last job all of them hated me like nobody could like work like I like no one could manage me because I was just like (laughs) fuck you and it would just be I I couldn't contain myself I didn't have regulation self-regulation I did it was before meditation I had absolutely like no self-control when it came to my anger and like I would just demolish people and like, and then CC everyone to make sure that everyone knew how stupid this fucker was. So <laughs> yeah, I like, really good at that and really good at building arguments about how, you know what I mean? About what people had done wrong or what we needed to do. And like, I just, so it was, that was my, like, honestly, that was an outlet for my writing and I loved writing emails. And then the other thing is I um, had started a blog on, um, Oh God, I can't remember what it it was called now, but there was a blogging site and, um, I just blogged about like how much I hated everyone and how much I hated the world. And it was a secret blog as well. And then, um, but I I had never really, I hated journaling. I was never really much of a writer though. I would have fancied myself a writer. Um, and it, what changed was, I mean, I had all of this time and energy and all of this, this, like, you know how quickly it moves in early sobriety. It's like, It's like, you know, you're drinking, it's like, well, it's like, you're like, everything is happening really fast in terms of what you're experiencing. Like, it's really hard to, for me, I, it felt like I was drinking from the fire hose of waking Mm -hmm. up 
where I was at and what had happened to me and, and what I was becoming. And I mean, I was just like, like the sky was a big deal. Like birds were a big deal, you know, like yeah. everything waking up on like not hungover was a big deal. And like, I, um, so much was coming out of me. I was exploding and, um, I, in a good way. And I was on a trip with one of my girl, a uh, group of girlfriends. So it was like my first trip with, with people that, that were drinking. And, and I, when I didn't drink and one of my friends was reading carry on warrior. She'd been following Glennon on monastery, um, which Glennon, you know, like some of us might remember cause it's, she's not really monastery anymore, but Glennon used to just blog as you know, a mom blog, like the, mm-hmm. she started blogging. Oh yeah. Mom That's blog. how I found her is yeah. Looking yeah. at mom blogs. Yes. And she, um, wrote her book had just come out, carry on warrior. And one of my friends came to me and was like, I think that you will really appreciate her. And she said something like, I see you doing something like what she's doing. And I couldn't put it down. And I got the itch and I went home and I started my, I wrote my first blog a couple days later. And, um, it was on a website called little miss surrendered. And, um, it was, see, it was like out and, you know, but I didn't put my name on it. I, it was, it was private. And, um, I wrote, I only wrote about like, I, some of them are forever deleted, but I only wrote about five or six blog posts. Hey, Unruffled listeners, just popping in mid show to remind you about our Patreon fundraising campaign. To date, we have produced over a year's worth of content and have over a quarter million downloads. We can hardly believe it. If you like what you've been hearing, you can be a patron of the show for as much as you'd like, even if it's just a dollar an episode. To donate, please go to www.patreon.com backslash the unruffled podcast. Thank you for your continued support of the show. Now back to it. The secret um, blog and the secret everything <laughs> when we when we first quit drinking. It's a way it's a way in to start using your voice, right? I think the agreed. secret blog or the website or the secret Instagram account or the, with the code name, like I think all of that is a way to start speaking up and start being seen. That's right. And I think this is something like, especially among like women, I think like we are told, like, I mean, everything in our society tells us that, that our, 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 our voices, I mean, like everything in our society silences us. Our voices aren't heard. We don't, we're afraid to use our voices. We're afraid if people really knew how we thought or felt that we might lose people. We are, you know, like we're just conditioned into this already conditioned into this idea of, 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 you know, not rocking the boat, not saying too much, not making suffer in silence. silence. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's very common. And I was really afraid more than anything. It wasn't that I was, I was very out with my recovery. I was just more afraid of, I don't know what I was afraid of. I was afraid of hurting people really, to be honest, I was afraid of, of, of what it would mean if people really knew and, and what I would lose, what I stood to lose if people really knew the depths of what I was going through and also that I wouldn't be believed and all sorts of stuff. And I just, it was too big. I I would send it to a couple of people, but the thought of broadcasting everything about me was just too much. And I think that that's very, the other thing is speaking from the open wound and in that really like nascent, like fragile, vulnerable place of early sobriety, like it's just 
I wouldn't recommend that <laughs> to many people. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's in the, the public sphere, you know, it's like, yeah, you've got to learn how to build the ability to like, cause people, once you put it out in the world, people have lots to say and like, mm. it's really hard to, to, to hold true to you, to who you're becoming when in the face of feedback, when you're not ready to reject feedback. Yeah. Right. And then that word rejection, I mean, I was going to say that that's the most vulnerable place right there. It's just the fear of rejection. I mean, that's the thing that would send me quickly back to the liquor store, you know, and early sobriety was rejection. So, um, yeah, yeah that's wrong or you need to do it differently like or unsolicited mm-hmm. advice or Opinions, like yeah oh god yeah which I already had enough of within the small sphere of people that knew what I was going through and doing and so yeah it was it was necessarily private um for close to well for about you know nine months how, how did you come up with the name hip sobriety how did you create that um moniker for your business for your well blog, for uh, your blog at the time yeah Sure. Well, the first blog was called Little Miss Surrendered. And then Hip Sobriety came when I, I quit my job in January 2013. I had been in a on and off relationship with the CEO of the company I worked at. And um, I was he I ended up I loved and hated him. And um, it really like, can I say the effort on your show? Yes. Yeah it really fucked me up. <laughs> and like, I like, if you can just imagine I was a like workaholic. I was, I was like first in like the depths of addiction and then in the, you know, in recovery. And I was working for somebody that I was in love with who was, we were, we were, it was not healthy. I mean, it was, you know, it was not a healthy relationship we were in. It was really messed up. And like, I ended up in 2000, after I got sober, I ended up working directly for him. I'd always worked levels below him and had a buffer between us. And in January, 2013, I, we were on, a phone and he was yelling at me and I was just like, I'm fucking done. I was like, and, and he was like, are you being serious? And I was like, yep. And he was like, what is it? And I was like, I like, I can't, I can't, I can't work for you anymore. Like I'm done. I'm out. I'm gone. And I quit without any plan. It was just, it was not like, I was like, I'm going to, I knew I wanted to work in the field of addiction. I knew I wanted to create something for the me's of the world but I also knew I could not like, um, I also knew I could like, I, I wasn't ready to make that leap. I didn't have like a plan. And, um, I, I did know a couple of things. So I worked in healthcare. I was trying to do what I'm doing now, but from within the company I was working at. And I was thinking of my, if I were to bet on two things, one is that alcohol is going to have a cigarette moment. If there's going to be a time when we like when, when the, the, it changes entirely and we look at alcohol, the way we do cigarettes which is to say we look at it as a, you know, like as something that is toxic that has to be handled with care that we don't just like, you know, as a rite of passage fall into using. And so one is that alcohol will be seen entirely differently within my lifetime. And two is that healthcare will not be delivered in the same mechanism like that it's currently delivered in and that a lot of it will start in anyway. I won't go into it, but like those are my two big bets. Those are the things that I thought. And when I was thinking about what I wanted to call it. I wanted to call it like hip because it was ahead of its time. Like, I mean, like, like the idea of hip is that it's something that's on the fringe and the margins, um, and something that moves towards the center. Right. But like, that is just like avant-garde. And I, I called it that because 
it was that like, that it was mm-hmm. like ahead of its time to be sober and, um, that we were at like, and, and I believe this still very, very firmly convicted and, and it's only been proven more and more right that we're on the fringe and the beginning and the front of like, like speaking about this and being loud about this and also talking about like it in an aspirational way. Like this is the way, this is not a sad thing. This is very exciting and big thing to confront addiction and, and, and to, you know, live without alcohol, I think is this like movement that, that like is just like starting to explode. And will in you know in the coming years and so I called it that because of that and I it we're also changing the name and we're rebranding to uh well our media sites rebranding to the temper and and then we're also going to be um uh rebranding hip sobriety the company that helps we have a program that helps people get sober and we're also rebranding that to tempest and it's because hip is a like a couple things. One, because hip is a culturally appropriated word. It's a black word. And, um, like literally it comes from Africa and it's not, um, something that I would have, I wouldn't have even known what culturally cultural appropriation meant when I was first naming it. Um, and now I do. Um, and so that's one. And then two is because it is really hard for like most people think I'm like, I I don't know how to explain it. It's just like, I, I was sat down by the branding firm I worked with and they were just like, it just kind of sounds like you're calling yourself cool. And like, mm-hmm. I, it, that was never the intention. And, um, I don't know. I mean, it's just like two things I want this to be. I also want to drop sobriety from the name because I think like one of the things that we want to do as a company, um, is not, I mean like 30% of the people we work with have eating disorders and like, there's a lot of other stuff that kind of falls under the sobriety umbrella that doesn't just have to do with sobriety and alcohol. It has a lot to do with the other things that we face. So um, I know that's not the question you asked. No, but, no, um, that's where I wanted. We were going there anyway. So. <laughs> and you still, and you'll still have a school though, like a like a program though. You're just renaming a, it. Yeah, we have. We've helped like fifteen over fifteen hundred people have been through the school at this point. Wow. I started in 2015. Yeah, it's a lot. And then next month we're we're we're, uh, we're launching. We're actually launching a new school on the 18th. So. Um, we're, we're getting, we're moving from a place of where we were helping, you know, we ran, I ran three schools a year this year. We'll have run four schools and we're getting to a place where people can actually just come in and, and join at Drop any time. Anytime. Like, yeah, that's right. Like it's, it, and yeah, sorry. What was that? <laughs> no, I was going to, I have a question about that, about the yeah. beginnings of hip sobriety school. Um, I, cause it just seems like you just did that so confidently, you know, just as an outsider observing, um, <laughs> you, I mean, it does though. And I just, I so grapple with what I should charge for and what I should just give away. I mean, obviously I make physical products, you know, obviously I charge for those. That's easy. It's like the not so tangible content, especially when it's recovery uh, related work. And so I've always wondered if it was just clear to you from the very beginning that you were just like, this is valuable. I can't just give it away. Um, or was it like you were just being scrappy? Like I just need to make a living and this is how I'm just going to have to do it. Or was it a little of both or. That's a great question. Yeah. When I started doing this, so I like, here's, I was making well over six figure, like, I was making like $130,000, which was a lot of money in uh, San Francisco when I left my last job. And I had uh, stock options into the company um, that were uh, worth about like $50,000 at the time that I left, like to, like to me. 
Um, I left my job and I left it and I could have gone into anything and made money. And that wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to do this thing. And I never wanted to do this thing to get rich. I wanted to do this thing because I knew that I could affect the way that addiction is treated. I saw a lot of people that were, I mean, I saw, I saw so many different points of the way that it was missing the mark from the fact that providers aren't trained in addiction medicine, from the way that we only treat the small percentage of people that are like super sick and we completely leave off any preventative measures from the way that like, there's only one way that's like typically given to people. And that way is, is not the way for everybody. And there needs to be more options from the people really need to be made, made like, you know, the center of this recovery of their recovery, rather than like making them like, um, you know, like, like fitting, you know, again, square pegs and around holes. And there was just, there's so much. And not only that, I thought it was just like, I, I set out wanting to make this ex- like sobriety and recovery accessible and desirable. And I knew how to do it. I knew how to do it because my background in healthcare, I knew how to do it from just like my gut level. And I, um, and that was it. I, I couch surfed, I rented my apartment out. I Airbnb my apartment. I, um, cashed out my entire retirement. Um, I, uh, I mean, I, I lived with my mom. I lived with friends. I did, I did whatever it took and it wasn't to get rich. It was to do something big. And the money I was like, well, certainly follow. Well, the money just didn't follow. Like Mm -hmm. in my first year, I I think I made $79 in October. I remember it. I mean, $79 (laughs) in October, 2014. And that was huge. I was like, somebody just paid me $79 to like <laughs> coach them. And I, I, as I was doing it, it was always like, the goal was to always bring forth something. And I didn't know what it was. And that shape shifted over time. And the sobriety school was like, I, I did a Hail Mary and I went to this Mastin Kip workshop and I paid like my last $14,000. I mean, every single one of my credit cards was max. This is 2015. I hadn't had a job in about a year, over a year. I had done some contracting work, barely enough. I was, I had made a little bit of money from what I was doing. And, but it was just like, I was at the end of it. And I was like, I was so depleted. And like, I went to this wealthy healer workshop in Hawaii with Mastin Kip. And I learned like how to, like, I learned, I guess, to start saying like, I'm providing something valuable. I'm giving every waking hour of my life to this. Every waking hour I am waking up and reading and writing and posting and putting tools together and like talking to people. And like, I'm murdering myself and I'm not, and nothing is coming in and I'm giving this to, like I'm giving so much of myself. And it was the first time I really understood that I could receive. And we have a really hard time understanding that we can receive when we're doing this. And it's not that people like people came to me and were like, well, don't you feel like it's a little like crazy and unethical that you're going to be charging people for something that's like that they like are so desperate for. And I was like, what the fuck do you think is happening? Like, what do you think a 35 fucking billion dollar industry is doing that isn't giving people by the way? Like, what do you think is happening? Like I'm going in this to fix this shit and I'm not going to do it for free because like I'm a woman and I just should. And that's the right fucking thing to do. I'm going to actually charge people for it. But like what is what I do and like what we have always done is we give people more than what they give us. Meaning if I collect money for this, first of all, it's going to be a reasonable amount of money. I'm also going to equitize it, meaning we have a scholarship program for people that are specifically unable to access things like this. 
And also I'm going to make sure that when people walk away, they're like, hell yes, that was worth it. Mm-hmm. Hell yes. I am. Yeah. Glad that give I them right above and beyond what they've, what they invested. That's right. Yeah. That's right. It took me years to do this. I read well, Wallace Waddles, Jensen Sarah's book on money. I mean, like it took me years to understand that I could receive something for what I give. And not only that, like there's this other thing, we don't run around and question whether or not somebody on Wall Street should be making as much as they were making, or we're happily gonna send, you know, hand money over to our real estate agents, or like to people that are like in industries that aren't necessarily, like let's stick with the Wall Street person, like we have no problem saying, yeah, of course you made that much money, or like giving, you know, money to like our, to our own money manager, stockbroker, of course they deserve to make money off our money, blah, 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 but like when it comes to like, healing when it comes to healers or people that are like putting something forth in a world creatives it is something that we just like tend to think that we shouldn't make money because why it's because of what we value it's what we get we've been like sold and indoctrinating into valuing we value money we value like material we value wealth we value like these other things we don't value like these really really big intrinsic things that make the world go round and so for me it wasn't, it did not take long for me to say, uh-uh, like, no, like I don't give away my, my, I don't give my shit away for free. I don't give my time away for free. Like I don't, I do not because all that has ever brought me is like sickness. I get a lot of people that assume that like, I'm just like sitting around, like ready to talk at any point in time, just like, just this like, you know, well of energy. And like, I can, like, I give everything I have to this. And if I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that people are giving value in exchange. And another part of this as well is that we have given away our program for free so many times. I've given away so many things for free. And what happens every time is the person either doesn't engage with it or something awful comes of it. I have Mm -hmm. never given anything away for free that has like, I mean, like, let me put it, let me rephrase that the majority of times that I give things away for free, I totally like pay for it. And the other person pays for it. Um, come empty handed, leave empty handed. There has to be an energy exchange when we're talking about things. Otherwise like that's the circle receiving and giving is the circle. And Mm -hmm. so I, I have, you know, like I know what I'm doing with the money that we take in. We put it right back out. We put it into bigger things. And so no, it's inspiring yeah. as hell. I, I, yep. I'm so, yeah, I'm high five in you. And, um, yeah. yeah, it's, and you're right. You know, when you pay for something as the customer, you definitely put more energy into that thing. If you've, you know, you're out the $300 or how much ever it costs, you know, you're definitely going to put the time and energy into it. And, and I mean, this isn't just, you know, trying to, I don't know, learn how to insta- be a number one Instagrammer. This is your life Yeah, that you're, that you're trying to help save. And so, yeah, it's invaluable. Right. That's right. And I think like, it's just like, there's, there's, there is such a, like, again, like just among women, there's, and especially healers and creatives. These are like, I think two areas. There's just such a, a lack of like our own, of being able to stand into it and say, I, I, I can receive this. I deserve this. I'm worth it. My work is worth it. And I think that that narrative, like, is, oh, God, it just messes so many of us up. It really does. So, but it's yeah, so- I mean, and to answer your question, Sandra, I wasn't, I was confident, but I was also really stupid. And, like, that's, like, <laughs> it, 
<laughs> well, th- this can actually be two good things. You know, this can work together pretty well if you wanted to start something, right? I mean, you have to be an idiot, a stupid, fool. confident, right? <laughs> yes, you have to be stupid. Like, and I have to, and I say that with like the utmost love and respect. Like, I had to be somewhat like. I had to be somewhat belligerent and like, and, and, and like dumb about the risks that I was stepping into. Um, you know, like I stepped into, I created a program to help people recover from addiction. I hung a shingle out and I was coaching people through addiction. And it was like, to me, I was like, okay, well, here's the risk in this. No one is taking care of these people. People get turned out of treatment centers that they're still using, turned out of the healthcare system. They get turned out of therapist's office. There are therapists that literally will not use harm reduction methods because the risk of working with a patient that's still using seems like condoning. And I, and, and, and there are people that like, like my, my own, in my own experience, going to my own healthcare provider at the company I was working at, my provider Googled my treatment options because they are not trained in how to treat people with addiction. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, no one is helping these people. Like no one. And like, and I don't mean no one, but I mean, the system is not set up to help these people. And so my stupidity in a lot of this was just like, what do I have to lose by trying to help people that are invisible? Like, what is it that I, what is my real risk here? If I go, like, if I go wrong, if I do something wrong, my risk is what, you know, and, and my, the risk, the ultimate risk was not, was, was not doing it. That was the ultimate risk. Um, and so, but it was stupid as fuck. I mean, like it's, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, let me help you get sober. And people were like, who are you? I'm like, I'm an accountant. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't make sense when you say it like that, but I have gone through your, I have gone through your school. Yeah. I believe I do this. I don't think I was, I'm not saying it was a bad program or that I didn't know what I was doing. I'm just saying in our, in the context of what we believe about people and the way we look at credentials and how we like the faith we put into the system, it's got letters behind it. It's got degrees and that system fucks us up. I mean, like I, the people that told me they couldn't help me had lots of letters behind their names and people could were not the people that were necessarily the ones that like had all the certifications to show for it. I knew what I was doing. I knew what I was going to do. Yeah. Well, I think when um, when I went through your school, I was one of the people you you allowed to come to your school to um, you gifted it to me because we were working on this project so that I could see what you did. I was blown away at the amount. I mean, I printed off every worksheet. I have my own little hip sobriety binder here that's full of tools and resources. You were the first person. I was new to I was new to a 12-step program and I was doing your school along along with it. And the compliment and kind of the the self-care part too, um which I know that word sometimes can some people love it or hate it, but just to take care of myself um yeah. in a way that I you just like invited me to sit down in the morning and do the things that you suggested. And then I had, you know, a sponsor that was, do- I was doing the things that she suggested. And for me, it just clicked. It just, everything yeah, kind of went yeah. together for me, for my personality type. And how much you poured into that program, Holly, is incredible. And the women yeah. who have gone through it have nothing but beautiful things to say about you. I know our friend Natalie Fairbrook just can't sing your praises enough. <laughs> 
you know? Oh, God, and, I love um, that. Yeah. It's just really, it's so, you must get really filled up to know that the people that you're helping, I mean, I know, I see you when you meet them, like when I've been at workshops of yours or at She Recovers, you look like you, you are giving that person that's talking to you full attention. You're hearing every word that they're saying to you. You seem really like tuned into them. And it's like you, you feel it very deeply, I can tell just by you know, hearing. The yeah, thing. too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're feelers, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's really like, it is, first of all, like, thank you. And also we've, it's gotten a lot better um, since you went through it. And like, that's, what's really exciting is that it is something that I think like it was something I started by myself that I could barely keep up doing by myself. Um, it was a lot, it was taxing. And now that it's like, we're able to have people like that help leverage that it makes it um a lot easier to give to and to keep up but it, it like when i i think like one of the things that really comes from this is like i've been through a lot of people's programs i've done a lot of work with a lot of people that have really big names and that make a lot of money and that have a lot of you know a huge following and a lot of times what i've have found like behind the curtain is i'd rather not have met that person And I think like the, I understand and I respect what people that have like, you know, like, um, that like work in the space, like why they have, um, like boundaries are really important and I have incredibly good boundaries, but sometimes like those boundaries are also seen as a really big dissociation. And I think like the, the hardest part of like working in this, and, and I'm sure both of you know this because I am imagining that you have lots of people sending their stories to you and reaching out to you and saying the like is that we want to be able to give people like we want to really be able to see people and not lose that part of us. I mean, over time, what I found is I just shut down. Like when I read too many emails or too many stories, I can't take it all in. There's no way I can. And I think it's, um, I don't know if I'm even like responding to what you just said, but like, or if I'm deflecting, but like, yeah, it's a balance between seeing people and not forgetting, oh my God, like this is a big deal what you're putting out into the world. Like you're putting yourself out, your voice out, your work out. And like when people come to you receiving that and then also balancing it with protecting yourself and doing things that set yourself up from, you know, like, like otherwise you can't give. I mean, you really can't. And I think like I've always wanted to balance, like I, I, I am very introverted, very closed off and very, I don't respond to most emails, texts, lots of things. Like I have, I have all these different ways set up to like protect it so that in those occasions, when I do see somebody, I actually have something to give them and I actually have something to reflect back to them. Um, and I think it's, it's a really weird, it's a really hard and weird balance to hold. Um, I found, I don't know. Well, you articulate that well. How do you you do it? How does it feel? Feels weird, right? Um, yeah, you know, it it does. It does. Because when you have people that come to you, uh, you know, and it's mostly women, I must say, um, you know, they're in pain and it's, it's, you know, when you witness someone else's pain and, and desperation, yeah, it's really hard to just, um, you know, protect your boundaries Mm -hmm. at the same time. It's a, yeah, there's a, yeah, I'm, I don't, I don't think I'm the best at it yet at all. It's definitely a work in progress. I, I, yeah, I have to shut down as well, Holly. And, and recently I went off social media for like a month and that helped. I felt like I, I hit a reset button for my soul. Um, and just kind of like, 
the days got longer and I could read books and I didn't have all everyone else's um words in my in my mind (laughs) yeah right so because I do absorb all of that um but that's that brings me to something I want to ask you about uh, maybe segue into this that um you know, you created that home podcast with Laura and you guys did, gosh, over like a hundred episodes. So you clearly inspired me and Sandra. That's we started this. I think you're going to be I can't believe you're on 81. I know. 81. <laughs> and I feel you're on like episode 81. I feel like, um, I feel like after the podcast ended for you, after you guys ended home, that you got really quiet and that it, I, from the outside, of course, I don't know what was happening, but from the outside, it felt like you went inward. You probably were building this company that you're that you're about to launch or that w- by the time this airs, we'll have launched. Um, so I'm just wondering, did you need that time when the pod ended? Did you need to go in? Did you need to kind of regroup and heal yourself? And Yeah, and I mean, I think it's like, us? sure. And I, I, I think like that made my life that changed my life. Like we started that on this, that we started that in our first episode when it got a hundred listens, it was like, it was fantastic and crazy. And I think our, as time went on, our episodes would average like, you know, like on just on, like just by looking at numbers on like SoundCloud, you know, like up to like sometimes 7,000, 8,000, 9,000. And which means like double like on, Mm -hmm. on iTunes. And it got, you know, I mean, it's, I think on some level, one of the things I'm still like, I have like that people associate me the closest with, um, the work that I put out that I think it, it both like gave Laura and I a larger reach and a larger audience and a larger impact. Um, and at least, you know, I mean, like there's so much to say about it and I like, I wasn't expecting it to end just like, I don't think a lot of times we expect things to end. And I, um, it was like a death, multiple death. I mean, I don't think like, I don't think it's like, I, I, I wouldn't say that it's like, I'm dropping a bomb to say that it was the end of the podcast. And it was also like the end of my relationship with, with a friend. And so it was like very, um, yeah, it was, a, there was a mourning involved, like a deep mourning. And, um, it was more than the end of just a project. Yeah, it was the end of a period of my life that had been defined by something that I did every week that I did with a person that helped to develop a relation, like that created a relationship with a person. And it was like, I mean, it it was like a breakup with like, it was like one of the worst breakups I've ever been through. Like, it's just, it still Mm -hmm. feels like that. It still feels like a loss Mm -hmm. of a limb. And, um, you know, I mean, you get close with people and it is, like, it doesn't matter if it's romantic or not. You love people and you get, you know, you like, you just anyway. So I would say it was like, I didn't know how to react to it. I didn't want to react to it. And I never wanted to like talk about the details of it. Mm-hmm. And I knew that immediately. Um, and I also um, knew that I would have to also on some level process it. And on, I also knew like we had an audience and to a degree we really owed our audience some sort of, some sort of, you know, explanation, not explanation, but it just felt like, like closure, maybe? grown up with us. 
yeah. closure. And there was never any closure for me on it. And I think for, for, or, you know, like there was, and there wasn't, I don't like, it wasn't anticipated that that episode would be the last episode. And so there wasn't like, there wasn't the right closure on it. Mm. And, um, for me, for, I think like, it just wasn't, it was, it felt like just an end. And I think also one of the things that for me was just also being able to say, I'm sorry, I can't, like, I don't owe anything to anybody. First of all, like neither of us owed anything to anybody. We put our heart and soul into that work and we put out something week after week after week. And one of the things that I had come up with, cause we almost quit the show in June and we had this episode about like it being the last one. One of the things that I had just like, I don't remember if somebody said it to me or if I had thought it myself, but like, it had been enough if it were to end, if it were to have ended around episode a hundred or I can't remember what episode it was, it would have been enough. We would have done enough and we had done enough. Mm -hmm. We'd put our heart and souls into it. And there was nothing like, there was just this like point of like, I mean, there were a lot of messages from people that were like wanting, like wanting to know the personal details. And like, I just noticed you and Laura aren't following each other on Instagram. And like you, and it's just like, like, like you think I owe you that level of personal disclosure? Like I owe you shit, you know? And so I think it was also like just this like ability to like really stand in. It was like, there's so many things that happened. There was the ability to mourn and pull away. There was the ability to not have to like disclose anything beyond that. Um, there was the ability to hold my boundaries and to just not even respond to things like that. There was the ability to know I had done enough, even though some people felt like they were owed something. And then there was further the ability to become my own person. Mm. Like I was, it was Holly and Laura and like, we were like Holly and Laura and like, we were inseparable. People cannot say, even at the beginning of this, like there still is this, like, like there was a lot of people that like, and I'm not saying anything Tim, but there was a lot of people you interviewed in the, in the the light series, but Laura still gets tacked to me. And I'm sure that poor Laura is still got Holly like coming up and all of her things. People cannot say thank you for this without saying thank you and Laura McCowan for this. And so it was just like, and that was so needed because I needed her to walk into a space. I really did her support and her validation and her like, I mean, she was my biggest fan and I was her biggest fan and we like supported the fuck out of each other, even though we, you know, like could easily tear each other down and like be the, you know, the worst thing for each other. But we really, like, I could walk into, like, she recovers with her next to me and we could run away together. And, like, we had this, like, this thing that one plus one equals three. Like, it just Mm -hmm. felt so much bigger. And when I lost that, I was just, like, afraid, I think, for would it be relevant if I didn't have this, this person and this thing in my life. And really, there was this call to have to stand on my own and not hide behind my friendship with somebody which I did. And, and, and thank God for that. Thank God I had her like, and, and that like platform and, um, to make it through, I could always rely on her when somebody said something dicked to me online to come in and like, take them out. You know what I mean? Like we just like, we had each other's backs <laughs> in a lot of ways. And we also, it just like made it easier. I then standing on my own. And there also came a time where I had to stand on my own. And I feel like I mean, I raised $2.3 million from venture capitalists in uh, December of 2000 and uh, from last December to grow and scale our business. And so we're a VC-backed company. It's what I always wanted to do. Like there will be about 20 people working full-time here by the end of this year. Next year, by, you know, the summer, we're looking at like 40 to 50 people. Like it's a, we're, I want to create, I'm creating like a, a, you know, digital like online rehab. And 
it is like uh, that I, this, this happened in January, right? Like with, with the, the show ended in January and I was like grieving it and didn't want it to go, but I was like, Oh my God, you're being forced in this other direction. And I signed a book deal with random house, like, you know, just a few months after that. And then just a few, and then I moved to New York and then like, and so there was, I didn't want, you know, how we just don't want things to leave. We'd want it right. to go on forever. But in and hindsight, you can see that some things just have to die for something new to yep. grow, right? And sometimes those are relationships, unfortunately, or they're projects or, you know, communities, whatever. But yeah, I mean, I think for new growth, a lot of times something just has to die, even though we want to cling on to it with, you know, every ounce we have. Because it's what you know. That's right. And it's familiar. And, and we're willing to like do anything to kind of hold on to the comfort zone of that familiarity. And, um, so yeah, I think it's, it is something that, um, I miss. I I also like, we were two white women and like, and I'm not saying like, well, you're not two white women, Tammy. Tammy, what are you by the way? Uh, Cuban, Mexican, Irish. Okay. Got it. All right. Um, but I think like there was also, this is also around the time where I had been putting off talking about, um, intersectionality and, and there's a lot of white women in the sobriety space and there's, there's not a lot of voices of women of color. There's not a lot of LGBTQ voices. There's, there's not a lot of voices. Okay. Um, I got, I'm getting about to get kicked out of this room. Um, there's not a lot of voices from, from, um, not white, not cis, not hetero, women and, you know, middle-aged women. And I wanted to really, I had been not sure how to like incorporate this because it's so important that like everyone's experience is reflected. We all know that, like how much it means to find people that see us and validate our existence and our experience. And I knew I wanted to venture into it. I was terrified to venture into talking about, um, the, the intersections of all these things with the, inter- like the intersect, like intersectionality, with the intersect at the intersection of addiction, sobriety and recovery. And I think this also just like gave me this ability, this like kind of license to say, fuck it. And like be able to start talking about things that really scared me. So there was that too. Um, which is what you, which is what the temper is going to be all about. Right. Yeah. Can you share, yes, that? Can you share that with everyone? Because I know you just, by, like I said, by the time this airs, it'll, will have launched, but I tell us more about it. And then how can people, you know, get involved? Yeah. So the temper is something that I wanted to do for like a while. And the idea is it was more from, I just was tired of like hearing my own voice on my blog. And I really wanted to have something that was like, that was multi-contributor and also like that just had was multiple like, um, perspective. And then it, it quickly like morphed into this idea of, I, I wanted like, no, sorry. It started out by wanting to create something that was for sobriety, recovery and addiction that looked like, anything that I could get out in, um, in regular media. I have, like I said, I am a consumer of like Bloomberg business week. I read it because it makes me feel like I'm in some sort of club and like, I know something, I love it. And I love the, the man repeller, um, manrepeller.com, which is mm-hmm. a, a great fashion site that is dedicated to, um, not, not just like fashion, but also lifestyle. And I feel like I really see myself in that content site when I go there. And, and, and it's I'm, smart I, because it's smart, right? It's, it's smart and it's cheeky and it's clubby and it makes you feel like 
you're in some, like I, it is smart. It makes, it draws me to it cause it's beautiful and I, I can't get enough of it. And so mm-hmm. I felt like when I was, I felt like when I was, um, I felt like when I was creating, um, I felt like when, what I wanted to do was, um, I'm sorry. I just had to move into, um, a space. I got kicked out of my room. Okay. Um, I felt like what I wanted to do, wait a minute. Okay. Sorry. Um, I felt like I'm really sorry you too. Um, (laughs) um, but I felt like what I wanted to do was create something for us. Like addiction is usually the side note in any story, like on the media, it's like, you know, like Manifold is a great example. There was like, there's three articles about like alcohol and like, or four, you know, like I'm not three, but there's that, that I have come into contact with on man repeller. They're like this side note, like about dry January or like one person's like recovery story, but there's never like, whenever I enter into any media site, even health and wellness, even goop and wall plus good and all these other things, they assume I drink. They assume I am not in recovery. They assume that I don't have like some sort of mental health issue. And so like that's the side note and in the margins of it. And I wanted to create a site that felt smart and beautiful and like, like anything we would go out and seek for ourselves, but that had those assumptions, the assumption that you don't drink, that is something that you're, that you're in some sort of recovery and the assumption that you are, um, like struggling with some sort of mental health issue, like to some degree that we, like, we talk about this stuff as if it is the given in the story, not as the exception. And so that was like the primary impetus. And then it grew into, I can also use this to start drawing in different voices that don't get Mm -hmm. airtime. I can raise up voices of those who are marginalized, not just in our society, but also in our recovery community, because we are, we're like an echo chamber of, of, of like, of, of a, a, like a, an archetype. And, and I'm not saying that, that the three of us are, but like in general, yeah, like the, the typical person that has a huge Instagram following or a blog is white and middle-aged and, and, and middle-class to upper middle-class. And like, like has access to therapy and therapists and doesn't reflect this spectrum of experiences and the things, if I am a black woman trying to get sober, I am not dealing with the same shit that a white woman is dealing with. And like, we have to talk about those things. And, and as I've talked about them on my own feed, a lot of the pushback that I get from is like, this has nothing to do with addiction, leave politics out of it. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like, it has what you're saying is it has nothing to do with your addiction, right. your supposedly, but like, but it has everything like, but this stuff, like you cannot separate out life experience from recovery, like, and, and addiction, like it is made up of everything, everything we are. And you cannot separate parts of it out and say, well, this part doesn't matter because this part's controversial. All of it matters. All of it counts. And to be able to talk about that, um, we really have to create a space and spaces where we elevate every story and give it the same weight as we do, um, what, you know, typically we is seen and, and idolized. So, well, it's exciting. I know. And so has this just been incubating and you've been working your ass off all year and writing a book? Is that, are you doing both of those things at the same time, Holly? <laughs> when do you sleep? And what? relaunching. And, and also like we're <laughs> building, we're like, the, yeah, this, we're re- rebranding and we're also like building, um, 
a, uh, I mean, we're building a new software to, for the, like we're building a whole platform for the school. So yeah, um, <laughs> I have a te- like, yes, I've been working on this. Um, I mean, we, I went out and did my fundraising last September. Um, and like, we've been running business as usual. I hired up incredible people, um, mm-hmm. to help me pull this off. So, um, Emily Kate Pope is who, um, is been working with me in the marketing, um, and like, she's built the whole, like we, we hired our, our creative team on the, um, on the, on the site was actually the original like creative team on Man Repeller and into the glass, um, Mick and Lacey Gaddis, like they're these two, this incredible couple and they helped design it. Um, we, I've been talking with them since like last, I think October, November. And, um, Emily, uh, came on in, I think April maybe may, I don't remember, but yeah. And we've been collecting stories and it like, we are, we have over a hundred stories contributed at this point. Christy Coulter's writing for us and, and Oset, but like, also we have like a lot like Tracy, um, Tracy Murphy who runs LGBT, um, LGBT teetotaler, um, and is doing really great things in the LGBTQ community, um, is a regular contributor. Um, we have a lot of women of color. We have, um, we're looking for, uh, people who are disabled to write for us. We're looking for, um, for women that are over 55 to write for us. We're looking for vets to write for us. I mean, we're really looking for, like, we're, we're, we're working with stories from those of, you know, those that we know in our community. We're also really looking to raise up and create a space for, for people that have like a breadth of experience in this. So it's exciting. It's great. Sounds exciting. I mean, I'm, yeah, I, I was chatting. Um, I got an email from Emily again, and I am going to put something together. I just, I just, uh, I told her, I said, anxiety has gotten the best of me um, this summer, and I've been addressing that, but I'm looking forward to contributing something. <laughs> well, it's exciting. It's, it's just for you. I look forward like, to something refreshing, something different to see uh, around, um, you know, recovery and, and all the creativity that comes from that and just hearing different voices. You're yeah. right. Yeah. Because it is. I was just. Chamber. Yeah. I was just going to say, maybe you two could come up and do something that's like, like that is just like a creative corner, like a re like a regular contribution like that. I mean, I don't know. Like there's like, there's so much that can be done with this. Like there's so many different like ideas that we have percolating about it because it is like, it is like this fresh new ground where we can, you know, like there's a lot of blogs and then there's the fix and then there's everything else. And there's really so few places that, um, really allow us to have all these different conversations and, and also provide all these different tools and all these different voices. Um, and really what I, what I hope this achieves is mainstreaming what, what is like, what is so often seen as something that's fringe. It's not. Yeah. Right, right. When I was, t- I after she recovers, I was got meditating on the whole experience we had um, in LA recently, and I was thinking, I I think what what I'm looking for is starting to normalize non-drinking culture. Like I think you started this, you know, a, a lot, and then a lot of us fell in, but it's just normalizing non-drinking culture. Um, and yes. cause I could see, cause I could see the temper being a cool site that people that aren't necessarily, you know, quote unquote sober or identify as a person in recovery would go to just to read, just to read smart things about what not, you know, because not everybody fucking drinks 
And I know. <laughs> even people know. that aren't in recovery. So that's just normalizing a non-drinking culture, making it not not the fringe, not not right. us, not the weirdos. That's right. <laughs> our our like so like our astrologer is Wild Witch of the West. She's one of my friends from San Francisco, Rebecca Ferrar, and she doesn't drink, and she never has. Like it's just never been a thing for her. And she has the same like she has not the same experience, but a lot of the same like a lot of the same struggles that we do and living in this culture that like just assumes we drink and like that, like paints, like the only way to have fun is through drinking and like normalizes drinking culture so much to the point we can't even see anything different. And she's, um, uh, I'm excited too, because like, yes, those voices are really important. And also it's important to have resources for people that just don't drink. Um, and so she's doing our, um, I think like we're calling them sober scopes or something. I don't know. Um, (laughs) but I, yeah, I think it is. You're exactly right. There is people really need to see this like painted in an aspirational light. The first article I found was a Bucky Sinister article. I was looking for what people do and like, like what sober people do for fun. Cause I couldn't even imagine it. And I found one article written by somebody named Bucky Sinister. And <laughs> he was like, he was like talking about how he like went to the like movie store in the corner and like came home and watched VHS. It was like VH. All I could think of is like VHS tapes, and like that was like the equivalent of what like the high like what pizza my life boxes was like. every everywhere and just haven't showered in days. Uh, yeah, I want more. I wanted to be shown that my life could be whatever I wanted it to be if I was sober. That it would look exactly. like it wouldn't be the paler set of colors. So, yeah, I think that that's really important. Um, I know I don't want to take up too much of your time, Holly, but I don't want to gloss over. You're writing a fucking book. And it's with Random House, right? Are you there? Moving into another room. I'm doing this from my office. (laughs) You're mobile. You went out for a second. Okay. 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 So, so yeah, I got a. Um, I am writing a book, and I am signed with Crown. Um, oh, Crown. Thank for you. Two- sorry. Yep. Yeah. Well, it is Random House. Okay. It's an imprint. It's an imprint. Um, but yeah, I, I, um, oh, I've been working on the book proposal for like the last forever. Um, and then I finished it in, um, oh my God, I don't even remember when I finished it. I think May. And then we took it out. My, I have an incredible agent, uh, Rebecca Gradiner. And so I, I, she fought, like I, I wanted an agent that was going to fight for me. And I found one that, um, that does. And so she, um, yeah, I, she took it out. We took it out in May and we got an incredible deal. And so I, I need a book. And what's the genre? What is it? Uh, is it a memoir or is it about hip sobriety uh, school? No, it's not about hip sobriety school. It's my, it's not included within my company. It's not under the umbrella of my company. And so, um, I really can't tell. So, oh, uh, exciting. <laughs> More will be revealed. It's about, <laughs> it's about stuff. Um, but it is like, it is, it's, um, it's hard. It's not about what I typically, it's not, it's about stuff that I, um, I'm having to pull forth even more from within and it takes its toll. Um, but I'm excited about it. Yeah. And do you, um, do you carve out, I know that you, that you love to write, but do you carve out time to write every day? Are you on a disciplined routine or are you, uh, is it hit and miss or how do you, how does that look? 
I um so for the most part I write a few times a week. I try and write every day in the mornings. That doesn't work for me because I'm um exhausted right now and like I just like I'm not a disciplined person. I never have been, never will be. Um I but I what I do is I uh lock myself away in hotels and um just and all, and then turn off my like phone and all I do is write. Mm. And that really, really helps me. Um so I'm doing that this weekend going away to a hotel, checking in. I just get room service and it's just like on, all I'm doing is writing the whole time. Um, and I find that to be fun and enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And also yeah. like, I'm can't, like, I'm not going home for the holidays. I'm going to stay here through the holidays in New York and write. So it's a, it's a big task. Yeah. <laughs> so do you, um, this is Michelle Obama's publisher, right? Oh, how did you know that? Did I tell you that? I, I told you that. Told I texted you that. You. <laughs> I was like, no, yeah, that was like the first thing. That was all I told. Like the first people I told, I was like, and it's Michelle Obama. Uh, <laughs> well, that's a little thing. No, a little thing. no big deal. Um, yeah, it is. Um, it's from, uh, it's, I'm not working with the exact editor that she is involved. Um, but I am, I'm working with an incredible editor. Um, and I, yeah, I got, I couldn't, I don't even know how it happened or how I got lucky and I'm waiting for somebody to take it away from me. Um, but do you know what I mean? I'm just like, I'm like, well, you're pinching yourself. Well, Holly, you deserve it. I mean, God, you work your fucking ass off. You work so hard. And that's what makes us even sweeter, like, to talk to you today. And just kind of like when I was thinking about everything the last few days of just what have I – and I don't know the whole Holly, right? But I can just see with my interactions with you and just what I see on social media and tracking what you've done from just what I have glimpsed, which is not the whole picture – and just that's why I was saying this year, it seems like this incubation and everything's about to just blow up, right? With the temper and to come out and like this baby of yours. Like, I'm just, I just am so proud of you and so happy. I'm really happy. Yeah, with you. it is. I think it's really funny that it, like a lot of the stuff that we're doing behind the scenes is, is very behind the scenes. And you're exactly right. It doesn't feel like, incub- it does feel like incubation when I talk about it in this light and behind the scenes, it's just like, we're just like, we are like, there's only one thing we've been working on this, like heads down since, um, I mean, well, like, like on what, on the, the things that are coming up and, um, it's really funny because I'm so in, immersed in it. I forget that we're really not, there's not a lot to show on the outside in terms of what's changed. And so, yeah, next year will be a big year. Um, but it is, it's really, I mean, I, I love doing this. I don't think I would, I don't know if I could do, I know I couldn't do anything else. I know that like, and I know the two of you feel this way. Like you just can't fight the calling that you have and the stuff that's in you. No, and you'll I try do and it, it doesn't, it's, I come right back to it. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Because it's like life giving. And so I think it's really important to like, um, like I, this is what I love doing. I think it's incredible. It's an honor. It's a privilege. It's a gift. Um, I feel lucky that I know what I like to do and what I want to do. And also it's like, I keep on telling everybody in about 10 years, I'm going to Irish exit out of the, like out of the world or out of like every, like class. I'm literally just going to like Richard Simmons it and like go somewhere and ever hear from me again. Um, I think I know where you might go. 
<laughs> don't tell anyone. I, won't. <laughs> no, I just, like, I just, that's the thing that I look like. The funny thing about all of this is I hate it. Like, I mean, I hate the public part of this. I hate the keeping up the Instagram. I like, I, I talk publicly and I want a big message and I want like to affect a lot of change because I want to affect a lot of change and that's it. But I really, really, really in private. I'm very quiet. I really like to stay in and not like be seen and like be lost in crowds and that kind of thing. And so I'm looking forward to the point in my life where I like feel like, okay, this is sustainable and we'll carry on and peace. I'm gone. So. (laughs) Well, I I get that too. And I understand, I understand. um, And you, and you're, you've made no secret about that, about being an introvert and needing, I mean, cause you need to fill back up all that you're giving away Holly in terms of, um, not giving it away for free, but I mean, but, but giving it, just giving away what, you know, and channeling that mm-hmm. and, and packaging that so that you can help other people. You have to, you have to fill back up that tank, right? You have to, you have to rejuvenate and kind of, um, yeah, be, go cool. So that's, that's what I'm saying. I know you've been a little quieter this year, but I know you've been working your ass off. Um, yeah. I know we could probably make this a nine-part series of for the past, but um, there's so many other things. But we're kind of—I don't want to respect your time. And I wanted to ask towards the end of the podcast, we usually um, we do an unruffled toolbox, and I learned about the toolbox from you from a blog post you did about how to put one together. And it's mm-hmm. been a really key part of my sobriety. It is something that mm-hmm. when I meet with um, sponsees that I work with, I call it step zero. And my step zero, mm-hmm. I have all typed out. And the step zero is make yourself a toolbox. Um, go mm-hmm. to Hip Sobriety and read her manifesto. I mean, I do a 12-step program, but I recommend things that are not 12-step too. And so yeah. you are on that list. And so the toolbox is just key. So we usually share at the end of the podcast, like three things that might help our listeners, um, you know, something that's in your toolbox that might help the listeners. Do you have anything yeah. you might be able to share? Yeah. So the three things that I keep close um, is lavender essential oil. I think that like it is one of the things that when I need to track back to myself a lot, like I get pulled out into the world very easily. And one of the fastest ways for me to get back is to smell something that reminds me of peace and home and grounding. So, um, I carry lavender essential oil with me and I rub it on my hands consistently and constantly. Um, breathing is my next biggest tool. So I, um, will I breathe throughout the day I make sure and take breathing breaks we do it with my team we do it before calls I do it before I lead uh, before like in, like team calls and meetings internally we do it um, on our I do it on my coaching calls with students I do it like uh, at night before I go to bed I love breath of fire um, that's one of my favorite breath exercises and I also um, really love a breath called Satali breath um, so those are like I would say just breathing is my second tool. And then my third tool is um, I carry tea bags with me. And so like a, a physical tool that I use is um, I keep kava kava tea from yogi tea. And then I also use bedtime tea at night. Um, but I, I, I have to kind of wind down with, um, with something that makes me feel yummy and grounded. So those would be three tools that I... I'm never without 
That's good. I carry the tea bags now too. I learned that from you and um, mm-hmm. I definitely always have one because when I would go to um, meetings, they always just had bad coffee. And um, yeah. for me, the coffee fueled my anxiety is what I learned for my body type. Um, yeah. But taking my own tea bags felt like I was still be, get, treating myself, you know, it felt something like something very easy I could do. It's so clutch when you have hot water somewhere. You're like, I can just make a fancy cup of tea right now. And like, it's so, (laughs) y'all watch this. (laughs) Yeah. I got tea. Yeah, totally. Oh, Holly, how can people find you and what you're doing and the temper? Like, how is all of this launching? What can you share with our listeners? Like how they can, how they can find you? Yeah. Go, you can go to jointempest.com to get on our mailing list about our rebrand and relaunch, or you can go to hipsobriety.com and you can get on our newsletter. Um, either one of those ways will keep you in touch about what we're doing with our program. That is a, still a school that still helps people, uh, organize and move through, uh, recovery. And as Tammy said, um, we are like rooted in the idea that everybody gets to make up their own mind and make their own way and create their own way. And so we are either alternative or complement to 12 step program. Um, and then the temper you can follow by going to the and getting on our newsletter for that. The sites uh, will actually like the, the site will be up by the time this airs. Um, and then I'm on Instagram at, at Holly, which is very weird. It has been at hip sobriety forever. And then it just changed. Like I'd been working to get it changed and it just changed overnight without me really being able to anticipate it. So I'm at Holly on Instagram and then we're also at the temper, uh, on Instagram. Um, Oh, thank you so much, Holly. Appreciate you taking the time. And um, we're just excited to share you with our listeners because we get asked about you all the time at She Recovers. You know, I was asked so much about, you know, have you talked to Holly? What's Holly up to? What's Holly doing? (laughs) So everybody is going to just love you and you're going to feel all the love, I hope, when this airs. Yeah. Thank you. And I love what the two of you are doing. I'm so like, I've been, um, I, I wanted to be on this for a long time. So thank you for having me. It was the perfect, (laughs) it was the perfect time. It was perfect time. And I really like, I think it's just so nice because it does track back so many years and it feels like we've been friends forever or known each other forever. And it's, that's special. I think really, really special. We've been since the beginning. So. Well, thank you, Holly. Thank you both. Lots of love. Love. Bye. Bye. The Unruffled Podcast was created and produced by Sandra Primo and Tammy Salas. Our show is edited and mixed by Steve Hecht. Original music composed and performed by Caitlin Schumacher. Original artwork created by Tammy with the help of graphic designers Chris Aguirre and Amy Lanier. Thanks for listening.